from 1995 to 2006. In that 11-year span, I read one book three different times. The only book that I spent more time reading in during that period was the Bible. And the book I am uh, talking about is Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Uh, J.I. Packer is, of course, the author and uh, theologian who we named our oldest son after. And uh, Packer's uh, generous and profoundly helpful service to the evangelical church ended this past July when he died at age 93, just five days prior to his 94th birthday. And I have recommended his most famous book, Knowing God, to you before, and I gladly do it again this morning. But Packer began chapter 19 of that book asking this very important question. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? And this is how he answered it. The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father. And Packer then goes on to argue that this cannot be said of every person because the Bible clearly teaches that those who know God as their father are only those who have been brought into that relationship through a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ through their faith in Christ and his work for them. And he then writes this incredibly insightful paragraph uh, in that chapter, he says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. He says, Father is the Christian name for God. And the verses we are focusing on this morning, verses 5 through 13 here of Luke chapter 11, are of course the second part of the teaching on prayer that Jesus gives the disciples here. And again, Jesus is mainly focusing on helping his disciples to know who it is that they are praying to. That they are to know that God is their Father who will graciously provide them with what they need if they would only ask. So the main theme for verses 1 through 13, as we mentioned last week, is if we know who God is, we will know how to depend upon him through prayer. So last Sunday we looked at the first two lessons that the Lord gave the disciples on prayer from verses 2 through 4 there, which of course were based on what he told them to pray about. So just to review uh, briefly, the first lesson was that in prayer, Christians are to know God as your father and yourself as his child. Again, as J.I. Packer emphasized, 
in his book. That is key to understanding just what prayer is and the kind of relationship that, that you have with God if you are living your life by faith in Christ Jesus. You are the adopted son or daughter of God. You are to come to him with your re- requests just as a young child comes to his or her father. And the second lesson was that we are to remember God and the kind of place where we live. In the prayer Jesus gives us in verses 2 through 4, uh, the first two requests are focused on not ourselves, but they're focused on God. We are to remember God in our prayers like we remember other loved ones in our prayers. We are to remember that we belong to him, that we have been given life for the purpose of bringing him glory, and that the whole flow of history is heading towards the day of the Lord, when God will sit in judgment over all creation. He will establish the new heaven and the new earth for his people to live with him. So our lives get their meaning from our relationship with God. And so in our prayers, we must remember that. Remember God. And we also must remember the kind of place where we live. It's a, it's a fallen place. And we are a fallen people. We are sinners in need of forgiveness and protection from temptation. As Jesus says later there in verse uh, uh, 13, you are evil. You are, you, are, you are sinners. And we are unable as fallen people to care for all of our own needs, and so we depend then upon God's grace, even for our basic needs. And we are people who need to forgive others in order to live at peace with one another. Our prayers should reflect our greatest needs, and the Lord was teaching his disciples that their greatest needs were focused primarily on their relationship with God and others. And sin is the greatest detriment to those relationships. That's why we are shown that our prayers should reflect those needs. And if they don't, well then they are out of tune with God's word. I mentioned that this prayer in verses 2 through 4, it's kind of like a, like a tuning fork to use with our prayers to see if our prayers are in the right pitch or not. And if we are praying for those sorts of things in our prayers, then they are in tune with God's will for us. So now the third lesson on prayer, which we saved for this Sunday then, is this. We are to be assured God will not hold himself back from his children when they pray. We're to be assured that God will not hold himself back from his children when they pray. And I believe that's the main lesson we, we, we learn here from verses 5 through 13. We start here then with what some have called a parable in verses 5 through 8, but I believe it's more of an illustration of the lesson that Jesus is teaching here. Either way, it is a strange story for us. Kind of a strange one. If you were to, to show up at work on a Wednesday morning, and one of your coworkers leans over to you and says, man, you'll never believe what happened to me last night, and then tell you this story here, well, you, you just wouldn't believe it. I mean, what? 
come on, that, that, that didn't happen. If it did happen, well, then the, the nerve of that guy, I mean, you would think he must have been drunk or something like that, right? I mean, that kind of thing just doesn't happen in our culture. First of all, in, in our day of instant communication, nobody ever shows up unannounced, right? No one ever shows up unannounced. Second of all, even if they did, with our pantries and freezers always full of food, we'd never be in need of running over to a neighbor's house for just three measly loaves of bread. But, e- but even if we, we were caught without much food to give our unexpected friend, will we just wait until the morning to go out and get some food together rather than waking up somebody in the middle of the night? So we need to understand right away, we are dealing with a very different culture in this illustration. We can still learn from it if we first get a little bit of, of, of an understanding of this culture that Jesus was living in and speaking into at the time. So we live in a very individualistic culture. When we travel, we don't expect our friends to welcome us unannounced into their homes, especially late at night. We also don't expect our neighbors to happily give us food in the middle of the night. We have hotels. We have 24-hour grocery stores. We can take care of ourselves. But in the first century, well, in this Middle Eastern culture that Jesus was a part of, it was very community-oriented. It was a community-oriented culture of hospitality. Showing hospitality to your friends was expected. It was expected even to strangers visiting your community. It would be shameful for a family or a community not to show hospitality to travelers, which would include providing food as well as a place to sleep. So so this really is a big deal here for this friend to get some bread in the middle of the night. And it would have been expected that the friend who was asleep would get up and help his friend, even though he has all these reasons for why he wouldn't. It would, in effect, be shameful for the friend to not get up and help him out. It would be expected of him that that he would do it. So maybe it would be helpful if we change the illustration to to a more modern example. Rather than the friend waking up his sleeping friend for bread to give his unexpected guests, well, let's say a young husband whose wife is pregnant calls a nearby friend at 2 a.m. and says, my wife is in labor, we need to get to the hospital, and my car won't start. Could you come over quick and give us a ride? Well, in that scenario, of course. Of course the friend's going to get up. Of course the friend's even going to risk waking up his sleeping children in order to help his friend out. That is the kind of situation Jesus is describing for us in that culture. Of of course his friend will get up and help him. It would be shameful if he didn't. So then what's the lesson for us here? Well, one of the interpretations is that Jesus is emphasizing the persistence of the friend knocking on that door asking for help. That the sleeping friend will eventually get up and give him some lows because he's his, or not because he's his friend, but just because the friend won't take no for an answer. The friend will just keep knocking. That's, That's one possible understanding We are encouraged in the Bible to persist in prayer, to not give up praying. But in this example, 
what that does is put all of the responsibility on the one praying. It's like Jesus is saying, okay, make sure you keep asking. If you don't get... uh, if you don't keep asking, keep knocking, God might just ignore you and, and you won't get what you're asking for. It's up to you to make sure you are persistent. And as I said before, I think what Jesus is doing here is putting the focus on the one we're praying to, not on how we do it. He is saying here that our Father will come to our aid if we ask. For if even our friend will come to our aid in the middle of the night when we ask, surely God, who is so much more devoted to our eternal good than any friend would be, will most definitely come to our aid. If we but ask him in prayer. When we pray, we will never hear from God, don't bother me. We instead hear, Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. From Psalm 55, 22. When we come to God, our Father, in prayer, we will never hear, "Uh, I cannot get up and give you anything. Instead, we will hear, every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills is mine. Psalm 50, verse 10. When we pray, we, we will never catch God sleeping for he who keeps you will not slumber behold he who keeps israel will never slumber nor sleep psalm 121 our father will come to our aid if we ask we are then given some gracious commands and some broad promises here in verses 9 and 10 which jesus uses to encourage us to ask our father in prayer look at verses 9 and 10 and i tell you ask and it will be given you seek and you will find knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened now before we misunderstand what jesus is saying here let us remind ourselves of what he has already instructed us to ask seek and knock on god's door for Back there in verses 2 through 4. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Jesus is saying, when you ask the Father for these things, which by the way, you will be in need of daily, you will receive. You will find And your Father in heaven will gladly open his door for you and will supply these needs for you. Jesus is not saying, you ask for a million dollars to be slipped into your bank account, that you will receive. Or even more seriously, he's not saying that if you ask that your mother be cured of cancer tomorrow, that you will receive that. That's not what he's promising here. But what he is promising is that in the midst of your troubles... In the midst of your sorrows, come to the Father. Come to the Father and ask, seek, and knock, and you won't be refused. He won't turn away from you. He will empower you to do his will in the midst of your sorrow. He will give you the Holy Spirit 
to give you spiritual life and strength to endure and to be able to be faithful during your trials. He will help you to overcome temptation and he will provide for your daily needs. As it says in the midst of one of the most sorrowful books in all the Bible, Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. No matter what's going on in our world, no matter what terror we're seeing, no matter what trouble we're enduring, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So brother and sister, pray, pray, ask, seek, and knock. These verbs are in the present tense in the original Greek, which means it is a continuing present commands. In other words, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You cannot come too often to your heavenly Father. You will be received each and every time by him if you come in faith. We often have the feeling, you know, that if we've asked once, well, we really shouldn't ask again. You know, say you're doing a remodeling project in your home and you had something that was a two-man job, uh, so you asked your friend to give up a Saturday to come and help you. And he does because he's, he's a good friend. Uh, but then the next weekend, you realize that, you know, in order to get this next stage finished, I could really use another man's help again. Well, you're probably going to be less likely to ask that same friend again, aren't we? So you either just do it by yourself, do, do the best you can without help, or you'll, you'll call somebody else and ask somebody else for help. You, you know, you wouldn't want to, to ask too much of that one friend. We're afraid of, of putting too much strain on a friendship. We're afraid of being, being too needy. Well, brothers and sisters, Jesus is telling us to not think of your relationship with God in that way. He knows we are needy. So keep coming, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You cannot come too often to your Father in heaven. Then in verses 11 through 13, Jesus teaches us that our good Father will give us the greatest gift if we but ask him. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Again, Jesus uses another illustration to show that even if human fathers who are sinful are known for giving good gifts to their children, well then surely God, our Heavenly Father, who is perfectly righteous and good, can be trusted to give the greatest of gifts to his children, if, if, if we would but ask him. That's the whole point of Jesus' teaching here. He's encouraging us to ask, to show us what kind of father we have in heaven. If we know who he is, that he is kind, that he is generous, 
that he is gracious and merciful, if we are convinced that he is good and that he loves us, then surely we will come to him to ask and depend upon him through our prayers. And now, now think about what Jesus is saying here when he says the Heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. He is saying God will not withhold even himself if we would just ask him. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the divine trinity. He is God himself. God himself with us. Later in Luke's second book, the book of Acts, we read about the report of the day of Pentecost when, when God sent the Holy Spirit to empower the disciples and all the believers at the time to proclaim the gospel. If we look to God and confess our need for spiritual life, he will give us the Holy Spirit to revive us, to cause us to be born again, to empower us for ministry. God will not hold himself back from his children when they pray. In Galatians 5, through 23, we are told about the fruit of the Spirit. That is, what the Holy Spirit produces when we have him in us. They might be familiar words to you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Just think about, think about what you need for the challenge you face daily in your homes with your kids or with your spouse. Might you need love, patience, kindness, and self-control? Ask God in prayer for these things, for the Holy Spirit. Or, or, or what about facing deep losses? The death of a spouse, the loss of a job, or, or just a, a troubled relationship that you're dealing with right now, or maybe just the disappointment of not receiving what you were hoping you would have by now. Couldn't you use some help with peace, joy, and responding to others with gentleness and patience? Well, then ask God in prayer. And he will give you the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you know that, that you don't even have a relationship with God, the Father, at all. Maybe, maybe you know that uh, I don't even know what, what this is about, what this is like. And you've been living your life without him. You, 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 you've been just doing your own thing. You've not been looking to God at all. You believe that you didn't, you didn't need him. Well, if that is you this morning, friend, then the Lord Jesus is inviting you here to repent, turn away from that way, turn away from your unbelief, and put your faith in him. Believe that Jesus is the Savior that God has sent into the world for sinners like you. Believe that you can be forgiven of your sins through the saving work that Christ has accomplished for you in his life and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And then come before him and ask him for the Holy Spirit to transform your life, to give you faith, to empower you to follow him. Ask, seek, knock, and God will give you himself. 
like to invite our men who are going to help to serve Lord's table up this morning. And as we are pondering these things and pondering this relationship that we have been given with God the Father through the saving work of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning, through the table, Lord's table, we're going to remember that, we're going to rejoice in that, and God has given us this way to, to just tangibly experience the saving work of, of Jesus on the cross. He really died on that cross. His body was, was, was really nailed through to hang him on the cross. He really gave up his life. And his blood was, was, was really shed, was really spilt down on the ground so that we could live, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have a relationship with Almighty God as his children, both now in this life and forever in the life to come. The only way that sinners like us can be welcomed into God's presence is if something has been done for those sinners to be made righteous. And that's what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. And so we put our faith and our hope in that. And this morning we're gonna, we're gonna do that as we partake of the Lord's table. Now, as we've been uh, doing here recently, uh, we have these uh, uh, cups where uh, the, the bread is on top of the, of the uh, uh, drink inside the cup. If you pull off the top l layer, you'll get the uh, wafer. And then there's another layer to pull off to get the cup, of course, be careful. Uh, we don't want you to stain uh, your clothes when you're pulling those, those strips off. Um, but we'll be doing that this morning, so the deacons will, 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 will pass out the cups. Uh, we'll then uh, take uh, uh, the uh, bread together, and then we'll take of the cup together as a church. So I'll invite the deacons forward here. I'll read the instructions for us in 1 Corinthians, and then I'll pray. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. The warning there that is given, the encouragement that's, that's given to us to examine ourselves is to examine ourselves to see whether or not we are a part of this body. We are a part of uh, the, uh, the body of Christ through faith in him. And so we, we don't want to uh, partake of the, the, the bread or the cup without walking by faith in Christ. 
And so if you're not walking by faith in Christ, if your, your hope is not in Christ for your salvation, then again, this supper just isn't for you. But as I just shared earlier, we implore you, we encourage you. The way for your salvation, the way for you to have a relationship with God the Father is through your faith and what Christ has accomplished for you on the cross. So you can put your hope in Christ today. We encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, now as we partake of uh, the Lord's table together as a church body, we pray that you would bless us. Father, that you would encourage us. Father, you would increase our hope and our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would see him and see his sacrifice for us through this meal. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he said, take and eat. This bread is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
After they had eaten, then our Lord took the cup. And he said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink all of it in remembrance of me. our service today. We're going to go back to the chorus of that we sang earlier in the service of How Great Thou Art. I'd invite you to stand as we sing of our greatness, just the chorus of How Great Thou Art. And then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, the glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.